following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Uh, we are going to be looking uh, this morning, continuing on our look in the book of Job. Um, but I'm not going to read. We're actually uh, going to be looking this morning at Job chapters 14 through 21. So if you'll turn in our Bibles, this will only take us about half an hour to read. <laughs> we're not going to read uh, all of that. Um, instead, what, uh, what I want to do is read from uh, Matthew chapter 6, which is kind of where we're going to land at the end. Um, and it also helps us um, as we begin. So let me read just one verse. Uh, from Matthew 6:33, very familiar verse, um, and it's where we'll start. Uh, Matthew 6:33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you're familiar with this verse, you know that the context is in God, God's care or provision for his people. Like he said, don't worry about what you eat or drink. Don't worry about uh, your physical needs because God's going to provide those things for you. But your task is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And if you were here with us last week when we began talking about Job, we talked about this, uh, what's called the retribution principle or the principle of do good, get good. If you do good things... We can be confident that God's going to bless you. If you do bad things, then you'll, you'll, you will not receive blessing. You will receive suffering. And um, uh, the reason I thought it would be a good place to start with Matthew 6.33 is Matthew 6.33 in some ways affirms that, right? Seek God's kingdom and God will bless you. And so uh, we see this principle, do good, get good, even in the New Testament. But for, for Job and, and his friends... Um, there's some problems with it, right? And uh, we saw last week, uh, Job encounters just incredible, incredible, mind-boggling suffering. And um, we get to see behind the scenes that his suffering is not a matter of God's judgment or wrath. Okay? God, is not, God is actually not following the, the do-good-get-good principle. Because... Uh, both, both the narrator and God have affirmed that Job has done nothing wrong, that Job's character is flawless, he is righteous. And then we talked last week, it didn't mean he's, doesn't mean he's without sin, he's not perfect. But in terms of the retribution principle, do good, get good, he's good. And he should get good, right? He's not deserving all the suffering that has come upon him. And it raises just all kinds of questions for us about why is there suffering in this world? Right? Why is life so often full of pain and hardship? And uh, even more, more importantly, how can a God who is all-loving and all-powerful allow evil in the world? Right? And those are hard questions. Um, and anybody with probably more sense than I have would have not jumped into the book of Job and even, like, we just would avoid those questions. But, but I think they're important questions because um, anybody who's suffered... Right? Anybody who's had bad things come into their life, uh, anybody who is currently suffering through trials and painful circumstances, knows that these are not just lofty philosophical questions. 
Right? This is just not thing that you know really smart people debate for some academic purpose, right? Uh, when we go through hard things, it's hard not to ask these exact questions. God, why are you ma- letting uh, these horrible things come into my life? Lord, why do I have to deal with this suffering, with this hardship? And these become desperate cries from the heart about real life, real life hurt, and the feelings of, of injustice, right? Uh, Job has suffered the loss of everything he had, including his, his own family, everything but his wife. Uh, and he is in daily torment from this terrible skin disease. And he, he talks about not even being able to sleep at night because of the pain, right? And then as we see the, these chapters unfold, we see that not only has he lost his family and his health, but he's also lost his reputation as his friends are convinced he's just a bad guy. And he deserves all this because he's being punished, right? Uh, so his whole, his whole reputation, his whole character is being destroyed. And, and so we could sum up, and it's a, a title for my message, sum up Job's situation with the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen? That's a common phrase. And, um, and interestingly, I think people uh, try to answer it in many ways. But behind it is this idea, if God is really good, loving, and just, uh, and if he is all-powerful, then why do, good things hap- why do bad things happen to good people? Right? Why does God allow suffering in the world? Um, the Bible, as I said, from even uh, Matthew 6.33, seems to affirm this principle that do good, get good. You know, if, you, if you're a good person, if you seek God, God's going to at least provide for your basic needs that we have that assurance or promise. But, um, and beyond that, the Bible in other ways talks about God's blessing and his favor for those who do right. It's, it's all through the scriptures. But at the same time, it doesn't seem to work out that way every time. Right? We know people suffering in many countries around the world who are good, righteous people, saved, uh, people who presumably are seeking God and his kingdom and his righteousness, but are suffering horrible persecution or being murdered and uh, uh, chased out of their homes and their villages, right? So, uh, so is there something wrong with this principle? Is the principle not true? Uh, when bad things happen to me, does not mean God is punishing me? And I won't raise, you know, raise your hand, but how many of you, when, when something's gone wrong in your life, the first question you think is, did I do something wrong? Is God punishing me? Anybody have that experience? You have to raise your hand. Anybody have that experience? I have it often. It's like, wow, things are not going well. God, have I messed up somewhere? Well, I don't. Have, unlike Job, I don't have to go very far before I discover. Well, yeah, of course, right? Um, but is that really what this is about? Does God send hard things into our life because He's punishing us? Well, it can certainly feel that way. And as we see, as we will see shortly, Job and his friends were kind of forced to draw this conclusion. Job, your life is a disaster because you did something wrong and you're being punished. You deserve this. Um, Of course, we know, because we we saw the the behind-the-scene operation in heaven, we know that this is not true. That Job is not being judged. He is not being punished for something he did wrong. But it sure feels like that, and it sure looks like that to his friends. Um, So as we go forward in the book of Job, uh, we're going to try to not answer those questions, but think about them and see how 
the author of Job wrestles with them. But let me just say a little bit of a, mm, a, a disclaimer, I guess. Um, in, in Jonathan Edwards' book, uh, the Affections uh, on Christian Affections, he talks about, you know, when, when you when you get too close to the cliff of some error in theology, right? The temptation is to run away from that cliff as far and as fast as you can. But what you do is then you run up a cliff on the other side, right? And so I feel like in the book of Job, every step forward is one of walking off a cliff, right? It's a very tangled, complex issue, right? And it's pretty easy to take one small step in any direction and go off a cliff, right? I'm trying not to do that, um, but, but please have patience with me and pray for the Holy Spirit to guide us that in running away from one cliff, we don't jump off another. Uh, we'll try to keep uh, it in balance. But one of the challenges also with this book is that the problem is laid out in chapters 1 and 2, and then it's 40 more chapters before we really get to the answer. We've got a long ways to go, right? And there's a lot to wrestle with. Uh, so so uh, please be patient, right? We have one of two options. Either I preach this over the period of several weeks, or we just sit here for the next 12 hours, right? Uh, anybody going for option two? I'm, I'm happy. Anybody? Anybody? Okay, Dennis, you're the guy. You're the man. Uh, for the rest of you, though, we'll break it up in smaller sections, right? But that means that we don't get to all the answers at once, right? So please be patient. Like, if you, if you feel, well, that's not helping me, um, let, let's give it time to get to all the way to the very end. Okay, so let's jump into 14 chapters of material. We're not going to read it. In fact, we're, I thought about even just kind of highlighting some of it, but it would just take too long. So we're just going to summarize it. Um, chapters 4 through 21, actually chapters 4 through 27, break up into three what are called speech cycles. And in each cycle, Job's three friends each give a speech, and after they give their speech, each time Job gets his turn to make a speech. So Job talks the most. And he interacts with their, their comments, right? And so uh, chapters 4 through 21 represent the first two cycles. So we'll look at the first two cycles kind of today. And we'll look at the third cycle uh, next week. Um, but in each of these cycles, Job's three, three friends, friends, as we'll see, we're not sure how really good of friends they are, but supposed friends are trying to encourage Job, right? They're trying, they see his, they come to visit him. They see his suffering, and they want to help. They, they really do want to help, and they mean well. And so they give uh, Job some advice. And they, uh, there's three friends. Um, and, and by the way, this, this whole thing really takes the form of, of maybe a stage play or a drama. Uh, these speeches are laid out like, like a debate, right, between uh, debate partners. And it's very possible that this was written maybe and performed on some kind of stage um, who knows, maybe it was opera, you know, opera, a lot of boring dialogue without any action. It fits, right? Um, uh, uh, sorry if you love opera. Um, so, so, the, so why three voices? Because they all basically say the same thing. Uh, but three voices because they probably represent different voices from, from the world or society at the time. One is the voice of the traditionalist. We have always done it this way. One is the voice of the theologian. This is what the Bible says, although they didn't have a Bible like we have. But this is what theology says. And the practical guy who just says, well, this is just how life works, right? So those kind of three voices. But they all basically say the same thing. 
Um, so I'm very thankful to commentators, and especially one, uh, John Walton, in his book of Job. He summarized all these speeches for us, and I'm going to just highlight uh, some of his summary. So you get a feel for how this debate goes, right? So first on deck, uh, first up to the, the podium is Eliphaz, and he says basically to Job, uh, you've counseled many, Job, in, in very similar situations. You've been this kind of helper to people suffering. So take your own advice. Trust in this principle of do good, get good. Because this is what it's all about, right? This is the problem. Um, it is the wicked who suffer and perish. Okay, he hasn't accused Job yet, but he drops a big hint. It's the wicked who suffer, right? Kind of like that. Um, and of course he says, of course now, you know, remember, no one can be righteous from God's perspective. Now this sounds a lot like the New Testament doctrine of the, the fall of all people, but probably he didn't understand it that way, given how things worked in the ancient world. And remember, this predates the law, the covenant. Uh, probably what he means by that is nobody can be righteous, not because people are inherently sinful, but because the gods don't tell us, or the God, doesn't tell us about all of his expectations. God just hasn't told us. He, it's too mysterious. It's too complex. And so, yeah, sure, you think you've done right, but trust me, God has something against you. God sees something. You just don't know what it is. And so that's kind of your problem. But just appeal to God and admit your offense. Easy solution. Just say, hey, God, I messed up. I'm sorry. I have no idea what it was, but it must have been really bad. I'm sorry. Right? And uh, that will fix everything. I'll fix your problem for you. Right? Well, Job replies. So then Job gets up to the podium. He gets his turn. And he, he says, you know, the extent of my misery justifies my outcry. I wish I were dead. I feel helpless. And, uh, and you guys are no help. Right? You friends are worthless. Right? Um, and he says, what I really want is that and I want God to show me what I have done wrong. Right? If I've done something wrong, then I want God to show me what I've done wrong. And he, he cries out to God. Uh, and actually, much of Job's conversation is directed more at God than his friends. And he says, God, why have you targeted me for such attention? And basically he says, God, you're nitpicking. You've like put me under this microscope, and you're looking for the tiniest little mistake. Like, God, why would you do that? Why would you so scrutinize that, okay, yeah, I made one tiny little slip. Am I deserving... Are we as human beings deserving of that kind of scrutiny, that kind of close attention? It's not fair. And so then he turns back to Eliphaz and he says, says, he says to Eliphaz, Look, stop treating me as guilty. I am not guilty. And I appeal to God um, uh, that I am not going to, with false humility, pretend I did wrong when I didn't. When I don't know what I've done wrong. Right? If God can show me, I'll confess it. But otherwise, I'm not just going to make up that I did wrong just to go back to normal. That's not right. Right? And, and, and in the end, uh, um, Job says to Eliphaz, Look, I want vindication. I want to be proven that I'm either right or wrong. Right? And I think I'm right. I think I have done nothing wrong. Um, so what we see in this series, this debate, is that uh, for Eliphaz, prosperity is the only measure for vindication. 
Okay, in other words, the only way there's any proof that Job is right is if God removes the suffering and blesses him. That's the only way. Otherwise, Job, you're just guilty. Um, but for Job, what Job wants is not, he doesn't want to be restored. He wants vindication. He wants God uh, to show him what he's done right uh, or a wrong or to prove that he's in the right. Um, and this is important because if you remember going back to how this began, the, the, the challenger, the accuser, the Satan, uh, said, God, it's not right for you to bless people for doing good because you're just buying good behavior. Their motive is impure. Their motive is not righteous. They're just being selfish. Right? But Job, Job never asks for the return of his prosperity or healing. It's interesting. He never, he never demands that. Uh, what he wants is God to declare him innocent and righteous. But his friends, for them, it's all about getting his prosperity back. That's that's the measure. So then it's Bildad's turn. Bildad gets up and he uh, turns on Job and says, Job, how dare you suggest that God perverts justice? Uh, And we'll talk a minute why he can say that. But but again, he says, face the facts, come clean, you're guilty, you've done something wrong. Just confess, and everything will go smoothly for you. And Bill as the traditionalist, and he says, this is traditional wisdom, right? Just follow the do good, get good principle, and your life will be better. Uh, take it seriously, and um, confess to God, and everything will be better. Well, again, Job's turn gets up, and he says... Look, how could anyone ever establish his righteousness before God? And, and Job begins to debate really with God, and he starts really asking for uh, a trial, a hearing in heaven. Right? His friends aren't being helpful, and he really wants God to give him uh, the chance to defend himself in the court of heaven. Um, uh, and in the process of this, God accuses, I mean, sorry, Job accuses God of something very serious. He says, uh, God is not just. God is not being just. And the reason is because both the blameless and the wicked are destroyed. So in the end, God destroys everybody, the good and the bad. And he said, that is not fair. And God is not being just. And then Job says, look, I wish I had an advocate to speak on my half. I I need to argue my case in heaven, but God is no match. So I I need an advocate. I need an attorney who can represent me before God and prove that I am not guilty. Um, So so let me just read one passage, one one brief quote, just to show how, how Job is really blaming God for injustice. In verse, chapter 9, verse 22, he says, It is all one, therefore, I say, he, that is God, destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When disaster brings sudden death, he, that is God, mocks at the calamity of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If not he, that is, if not God, then who is it? Right, so he's, he's, he's accusing God of being unfair, of, of not following the rules. And what are the rules? Well, the rules are this do good, get good principle, retribution. So God's not following that. Right? Um, and so he turns back to Bill that He says, I know the traditions. 
But I'm not ready to admit that suffering is proof of my guilt. And I'm not ready to accept that. I think I am innocent. Finally, we come to the last, uh, last debate partner, Zophar, gets up. And um, with all the compassion and empathy and encouragement he can muster, he says to Job, You're just arrogant. <laughs> That's encouraging. He says, You think you're good. You are not good. You're wrong, right? You haven't even begun to get what you deserve. Now, that's harsh. Here's a guy who's lost everything. who's sitting on an, uh, an ash heap scraping himself, and his friend says, you haven't even begun to get what you really deserve. <laughs> well, that's encouraging. I feel better now. And then he says, your understanding is minuscule compared to God. Well, that's kind of true, right? But it's really unfair. And he comes back to the same con- conclusion. He says, just give it up. Repent of your sin, and it will go well for you. Right? So get it. He's just saying, look, you've messed up. You're guilty. Confess. You don't even have to know what it is. Just say, God, I messed up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And God will restore your fortunes. Your life will go back to the good way. Right? And um, nobody's really outright accused Job yet, it's all been inferred, but Zophar comes pretty close when he says, put away the sin that is in your hand. Chapter 11. Right? So Job gets his last time in the, the, the first cycle. He says, you friends, you mock me. If you just shut up. Right? You, sh- you would show more wisdom by being silent. Amen. Right? You offer no comfort in counsel and you, presume, you speak presumptuously and, and ignorantly on God's behalf. In other words, you think you're speaking for God, but you don't know God. And you cannot speak for Him. Um, I suffer while the wicked escape without punishment. Um, and, and then he turns back to God. He says, God is the, the fountain of all wisdom and power. If I could just bring my case before him, if I just had the opportunity to defend myself in the court of heaven, I have an airtight case. I know I would win. And I would be vindicated. I would be proven right. Right? And finally, he says, if anyone can bring a specific charge against me, in chapter 13, if anybody can bring a specific charge, I will be silent and die. You just point out one sin, and I'll shut up and die. Right? But he says, you're you're misrepresenting God. Um, we won't go through, we won't summarize the second cycle because it's the, kind of the same thing over again, a little bit different focus, but uh, you get the idea. So um, let me just highlight out of this debate back and forth a couple of things that are going on. Uh, to summarize again, basically his friends were saying, uh, you can end your suffering by just confess, confessing your sin. Now, it's important to see that they believe in this do good, get good principle, but they've actually taken it to a next level, right? Do good, get good. You do the right things, God will bless you. But what, that's not actually what they're saying. What they're saying is something that even goes further. And it is this. Um, if, if you are suffering, right, if, if you're receiving bad things in your life, then it's proof that you're guilty, now, that's actually not the same thing as do good, get good. That's not actually the same thing as seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Right? It's actually twisting Matthew 6.33 around to say, if God's not providing for you, if you're not prosperous and fully blessed, there must be sin in your life. You are not seeking God. 
and you are not seeking his righteousness. You're a bad person. There's something wrong with you, and you deserve punishment. And oftentimes, that's how it feels, right? Um, Now, we know this is not true of Job, because it was very clear in chapters 1 and 2 that this has nothing to do with anything Job has done wrong. It is not punishment. It is not because he is wicked. Right? Uh, but his friends are convinced that's the only explanation. Um, when bad things happen to us, we can encounter the same voices, can't we? Right? Uh, how many times when something's gone wrong in your life, people have, have said to you, wow, you know, maybe you should examine your life. <laughs> like, maybe you need to see if there's something wrong Like, if you're not really following God's will, you're not really seeking Him. Have you ever heard that? People trying to be helpful, right? They're trying to fix you. And there must be something wrong, because if there wasn't something wrong, you wouldn't be suffering. But we, we see here that that is not true. Right? And what's worse is sometimes it's our own, it's our, the voices are in our own head. Right? where we say, okay, God, what have I done wrong? Right? Where have I failed? What is my sin? Right? And like I said, um, I don't have to go very far before I find sin. Uh, unlike Job, I don't need to go to the court of heaven to find my guilt. I, I can just go back to breakfast <laughs> or to yesterday. Right? And, and I, I know there are things I've done wrong. And so it's easy, and, and I think Satan, the accuser, the, the liar, wants to say to us, see, you deserve this, because right? you are bad. You are a failure. Of course, why would God treat you any other way? Right? But is that true? Well, Job, uh, I think, is a voice crying out, going, no, it is not true. And whereas we, we may have a lot more sin to deal with than Job does, If we are in Christ, we have the assurance that it is covered by the blood of Jesus. We are actually more righteous than Job. And so Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. When you suffer, it is never, ever punishment. Let me say that again. When you suffer as a believer, it is never punishment. It is never God's judgment. How do I know that? Because Jesus took the full punishment of your sin on himself at the cross. He paid it all. So suffering can never in your life be a matter of judgment if you are in Christ. It has to have some other purpose or meaning. Second thing we we observe from their conversation is that... um, it, it's not about stuff, it's about being right. Okay, It's not about stuff, it's not about prosperity or blessing, it's really about being right. And the problem is that Job's friends thought they were helping because what their goal was, was to restore Job's stuff. But they said, Job, your real problem is that you've lost everything and life is miserable for you, and so the chief goal here is for you to get your blessing back. Right? That's what we're after. And so we're just trying to help you, and we're just telling you this is the way. Right? We are actually your, we are your friends. We, we, are, we are fixing your problem if you would just listen to us. Right? Um, 
But, but Job, it was never about the stuff. And what's cool in this is this proves that Job, uh, Job is, is actually a man of true character. And remember, the challenger had been saying, God, it's impossible. Human beings can't do this, right? Nobody's going to be good just for the sake of being good. Why would people do that? They, they all are in it for something. And Job says, no, I'm not in it for anything. I want to be vindicated that I am right, that I am good. And I don't care about this stuff. I don't care if I ever get my, my blessing back. I don't care if I ever get my health back. In fact, he keeps saying over, over and over again, just vindicate me and let me die. <laughs> okay, that's, just end it. And by the way, for Job, just, just so you know, like for us, we may feel the same way. And for us, death is ultimate release and escape from the suffering of this world to the eternal joy of glory. In the Old Testament, they did not have that hope and comfort. For them, death meant going to Sheol, or the grave, and it was not a particularly happy place. It was a place where both the wicked and the, and the good ended up, and it was neither judgment or blessing. It was just being dead, but still being, right? It wasn't a party. Uh, it wasn't suffering, but it wasn't anything to get excited about, right? That theology got developed much later, Right, so so he he really does care only for righteousness for its own sake, not its benefits, and so he proves that God is right, that God's policy, God's operation in the world of blessing those who do good is 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 good, because there are truly righteous people who do the right thing because they they love and worship God, that people can pursue righteousness for its own gain. Clearly, though, his friends don't get that. His friends actually prove it, prove the challenger right. And they gave, well, well, of course, the only reason you would do good is to get the blessing, right? That's what it's all about. Um, but they're, they're wrong, right? They're wrong. They're misunderstanding uh, the retribution principle, do good, get good, what it's really about. Uh, last thing we, we see as we see their conversation back and forth is kind of the difference between uh, righteousness versus justice. Righteousness versus justice. Uh, this is another area where they, they have this huge disagreement. Um, his friends represent this accusation that God is undermining righteousness by the way he operates in the world, by blessing people for doing good. He's undermining true righteousness. But, um, and Job seems to be proof of this, right? Clearly he must have done something wrong. And so God's right in not blessing him. Uh, but as Job holds on to his, his pure motives, that he really is doing right for right's sake alone, that he's not after blessing, um, it, it causes a problem for Job. And here's the problem. Um, it, it forces him to accuse God, accuse God that he's not being just. Remember as we read in, in chapter 9, he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. Right? So here's a huge problem. Right? If God doesn't operate uh, by blessing the good and judging the wicked, then uh, it's, not, it's not just a problem of undermining righteousness, because I'm righteous. It's a problem of undermining God's justice. God is not fair. God is not fair. And, and when we, suffering comes into our own life, we kind of have two ways of dealing with it. One, of attacking ourselves. I deserve this. Right, uh, I did something wrong and I'm being punished. But if we accept that, no, 
Uh, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I, I am not guilty. I don't deserve this as punishment. Then the next, the, the next kind of thing is, well, then God's not being fair. Right? God is operating in a way that is not just. He's not just. Um, one commentator illustrates this by what he calls the triangle of tension. And uh, if we could go to the next, the next slide, I think the next slide. Uh, no, my triangle of that one. There it is. Okay, there's three things that are in balance here. On the top is God's justice. Okay? That God is just. And so the question is, is God just? Amen? Anybody say God is unjust? Well, Job does, but we won't go there yet. Okay? Then there's the retribution principle. Okay? That, that God operates in the world by blessing good behavior with, with prosperity. Right? Uh, and then on the other corner is Job's righteousness. Now, when his friends, now, so both Job and his friends believe in this triangle, right? They believe these three things are all true. Right? So his friends look at this and they say, yes, God is just. Absolutely. Amen. Secondly, the retribution principle, do good, get good, has to be true, right? So we see that Job is suffering, therefore Job cannot be righteous, right? So what gets sacrificed is Job's righteousness. That cannot be true, right? For Job, it gets turned around a different way, though. For him, he knows he's righteous. He believes that the retribution principle is true, so what gets sacrificed? God's righteousness, right? God's, God's justice. Or he has another alternative. He can believe in his righteousness and God's justice, but then he has to reject the retribution principle. That do good, get good just doesn't work, right? It doesn't work, right? Um... Job actually gives his best argument against the retribution principle. And I love, to, I love debate. You guys like debate? I used to love to debate, and I like to win. And actually, Job wins. Job, Job actually scores a huge victory point at the, in chapter 21, towards the end of the second cycle. Uh, when he puts forth a question his friends can't answer, right? And it's related to that triangle. Uh, he says this in chapter 21, verse 7. He says, Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power. Hmm. Their offspring are established in their presence, and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and no rod of God is upon them. In other words, God doesn't punish them. Their bull breeds without fail. Their cow calves and does not miscarry. They send out their little boys like a flock, and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and the lyre, and rejoice to the sound of the pipe. They spend their days in prosperity, and in peace they go down to Sheol. Okay, he's talking there about the, the wicked, right? Uh, he says, life is oftentimes very good for wicked people. And uh, just in case, you know, good debaters, you always think about what the opponent will say, you know, and, the, and the, the, what the opponent's objection will be. And the opponent's objecting, oh, no, no, that can't be true. No, that's not true. And so Job continues on in verse 29. Have you not asked any, any moron traveling the roads? Moron is my addition, by the way. Have you not asked any of those traveling down the road, any guy on the street, that the evil man is spared in the day of calamity, that he is rescued in the day of wrath? He says, look, any, you go ask anybody on the street and they'll tell you. Lots of times wicked people are extremely prosperous. They don't suffer. Life's not hard for them. Right? So... The retribution principle doesn't work, 
Right? There's a problem there. Because God does not punish the wicked, like, like you say. And they have no answer, right? And it is a problem. It is a problem when reality doesn't match our theology. Right? Don't you hate that? When our theology tells us one thing and then real life tells us something else. Well, that's kind of what happened here. All right, so, um, so how does this help us uh, answer these questions? Why do bad things happen to good people? Right? So far, we kind of get a picture of this debate going on between them, but it doesn't really answer too many questions. And I don't know that we uh, can answer questions, but let me just highlight uh, a couple um, truths. I think what I would say are truths. Um, uh, and, and the first one is this. I think, I think that, that both Job and his friends uh, have a lot of wrong thinking. So we can actually go back to our, our uh, yeah, slides. Uh, they, they really have wrong thinking. They have bad theology or misapplied theology or confused theology, uh, sometimes right theology applied in the wrong way. And it, we, we see in their conversation some real flaws in their thinking. Um, and the first flaw we see is that, um, uh, is that they, they want systems and policies to rule the world, not a person. They want systems and policies to rule the world, not a person. And I think oftentimes we're guilty of the exact same thing, right? Um, we, we want answers and explanations, right? We want a logical and clear understanding of the way things work. And when we suffer and we say, God, why am I suffering? Why did you let this happen? What we really want is for God to go into the books and pull out the policy and say, oh, it's right here. This is the policy right here. Right? The retribution principle. Or if that doesn't work, some other policy. This is justice. This is, this is how it works, right? Because there's something comforting about policies and systems, right? Um, the, the friends see the... This, this principle of retribution, do good, get good, being administered by God by means of a system or a policy of justice. Right? Uh, and, and actually Job also wants this. So that's really why he's appealing. He says, I, I have not received justice. Right? I want to go and I want to I see in the, in the law book where I'm guilty. Right? I, I want to do this by, by law, by the system. By, by, by showing that I followed the policies, right? Um, but, but the truth is, and we've got we to understand that, uh, and again, here I can, I can go off from one cliff to another cliff, so please hang with me on this one. God does not run the world by impersonal policies and systems. Okay, God does not run the world by impersonal policies and systems. And you see, when you demand, when, when they demand that, 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 the, that the world be run by the simple, just pure, nothing but justice, right, you're demanding that that become the system that takes over and not, not God. Right? That God himself has to be subject to this system called justice. Right? Um, and, and, and think about this. Okay, let's put ourselves kind of more in the real world where we all live. We're all probably part of some organization. If you're not in some ministry organization or some business or some corporation, you're part of a country where there's, where there's governments, right? And organizations and governments love to run by what? Policy, 
right? Policy, systems, right? Rules. Uh, if you don't believe me, just go to the immigration office. <laughs> Say, hey, you look like a nice person. I want you to know I'm a nice person. Would you just give me a visa because you're a nice person and I'm a nice person? Can we do that? Does it, does it work that way? No, it does not, right? There are policies. There are policies about this. There are regulations. There's a system, right? There's forms. Uh, there's paperwork, right? That's how it works, right? And our organizations oftentimes run the, the same way. And, and honestly, we want this, right? Why do we want this? Because it takes people out of the picture, right? And, and, and the problem is people are biased, they're prejudiced. They're blinded by their own agenda. They have their own goals. They're selfish, right? And so we really don't want people running organizations because people are too screwed up, right? They're unfair. They, 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 they're, they're messed up. They're selfish, right? Unless, of course, I'm the one running the organization, which, by the way, I am. <laughs> right? Because I, I am, am not unbiased ever. I am perfectly good, right? I always care, right? No, right? We, so, so people want policies. We want policies to protect us from people, right? We want policies to govern people, to control them, because it seems safer. And in many cases, because of the sinfulness of how we are, it, it might, right? But the problem is that when we run things completely by policy, it turns organizations into machines that are heartless and inhumane. Right? Because machines do not care about people. Right? Machines don't care. In fact, that's at the heart of every Marvel cartoon. <laughs> right? Machines realize that the world would work better without people, so they want to get rid of people because then machines could rule the world perfectly. It's only people that mess it up, right? Because, machine, because people don't follow the rules, right? Machines always do exactly what they're told, right? So, so we, and we do this. We create these organizations that are run by policy and systems. And is it just? Yes, it's just. Is it cruel? Terribly. Terribly. We crush people under our policies and our rules, Right? Because policies don't care about people, right? And, and unfortunately, uh, going back to our triangle, you know, they want the world to run by this system called justice because it, it makes sense, it, it's, it's controlled, it, it gives clear and logical explanations. Yeah, you suffer because you did something wrong. Boom, end of story. But, but God does not run the world by systems and policies. Right? He is a person who governs it. He brings to the table all of his attributes and character. The only way to rec- rescue organizations and governments from the tyranny of systems and policies is to have a caring, kind, wise, and just ruler who rules humanly, who rules as a person with compassion who does not treat everybody equal because not every circumstance is equal, right? Who, who sees the bigger picture above and beyond policies and regulations, right? Do we want the world ruled by a system or by a God who is wise, loving, just, and good, right? And you see, God brings 
to the table all of his attributes, all of his character, all of his goodness, all of his wisdom. Right? And, and he administers things not according to some system, but according to his, his perfect wisdom as a person. Bringing all of his attributes together, working in perfect harmony for his good and perfect purpose in the world. Right? Does that mean there's no system or rules? Well, of course there is. But God is over the systems, and he's not controlled by them. God can change the rules. Right? Uh, and his, his ethic of love has to be higher than his ethic of rules. That's a whole other sermon. We don't have time to get into that one, but I'll let you think about that one. Um, so second thing. Uh, second thing we see is the, the tension between justice or grace. Do we want justice or do we want grace? Right, when we begin to understand this principle, uh, we see that God administers the do-good-get-good principle not as a matter of justice, but as a matter of grace. And this is another thing that they were really missing. Right? The problem is not with the principle, do good, get good. We see it affirmed, like I said, in Matthew 6 and in other places. It's a good principle. And I'm thankful for it. Don't you want to know that God, God will bless you? <laughs> I want to know that, right? And, and I want to hope that actually the blessing is somehow related to right behavior. Right? So if you don't believe it, here's, here's a quick illustration. Here's a good example. Do you think you should pay kids for, for doing the right thing? Is it a good idea to give kids money for good grades or to affirm them when they, on their own, get up and wash the dishes to say, wow, thank you. Is it good to do that? Well, the challenger would say, oh, you shouldn't do that because if you do that, they're only doing it because you, you praise them. Don't do that, right? Just make them figure it out on their own, right? right? Uh, so somebody has to re- reverse that, right? Should we just ignore all good behavior by our children? How will that end? I'll tell you how it will end. They'll stop doing good behavior, right? They need affirmation, right? If we don't give it to them, it's going to end bad, right? So, so yes, the, the, uh, the, there's a need for us to be, in some sense, blessed when we do good things. But the problem is that... Um, when it's governed by justice, it, it turns into a merit system where, where we earn blessing and we deserve it. Right? Um, and this is really what's at the heart of, of, of Buddhism. Right? Buddhism is based not on grace, but it is totally a merit system. I do good, I get good. I do bad, I get bad. And every deed is an exchange. Every deed gets you something. Right? Um, do we really want the world to operate this way? Do you really want to get what you deserve? Again, Job may not have deserved anything bad. I am not Job. I don't deserve, I deserve punishment. Right? I don't want to get what I deserve. Right? What we need is grace. And what these guys were missing is that uh, God's blessing is always a gift of grace. It's never something we earn or merit. Right? Doing good for the sake of good is, is good in itself, and we should do it for that and for its sake alone. And God in his grace blesses us. But it's grace. It is a gift. It is the generosity of God. So in that triangle of tension, what we need to do is we need to take justice off the top. And we need to put there 
grace. God administers the world with many things, actually. We'll see. But, But he administers it by grace, not by justice. And so... Uh, when you suffer, we need to know that even suffering God's, is God's grace. Right? God's blessing is His grace. His interaction with us in the world in every way is His grace. Right? It's His grace. Third thing, and we're almost done. Uh, do we want simplistic solutions or, or are we willing to Embrace the vast complexity of all of this. Well, Job and his friends went in simplistic solutions, right? And, and here's the thing. When we replace justice with grace, it can appear that God works in the world in a way that's just purely arbitrary and random, right? Like God's just up there with the dice, and uh, he's just, oh, I'll be nice to him. I, he, he rolled a, an odd, or he rolled an even. He gets good things. Oh, he rolled an odd bummer, right? There's no plan, there's no rhyme, there's no reason. God's just up there playing this cosmic dice game, right? And so we would rather have some logical explanation that makes it not seem random, right? But the problem is that not only do these explanations take us back to systems and policies, but they also are always overly simplistic, overly simplistic, right? Uh, and, and, and I get it. We want to make sense of it, right? We, we want answers. We want to know why do bad things happen to good people. But I'll tell you, all the answers to that question I have ever heard are just super simplistic, right? And it doesn't account for the complexity of everything going on. Uh, Job, uh, Job was a great example of this, right? Uh, he, in, in chapter 2, said... I just receive everything from, the, from God. He told his wife, we need to receive from God the good and the bad. All comes from the hand of, of the Lord. God's sovereign over it all. It's all his fault. We just got to live with it. Right? Um, is that true? Well, it's kind of true. God is sovereign over all. But he's missing a lot of parts. He's missing a lot of pieces of this equation. That is a very simplistic answer. Well, God's just sovereign, so we just have to live with it. That's actually fatalistic. right? And that's... It's, 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 making things, it's making God too small and the problem far too simplistic. It leads out some very important things like the role of Satan, the existence of evil in the world, the issue of human free will and choice, the nature of God's physical universe, right? Uh, when one person chooses to harm another person, how does the sovereignty of God and human free will intersect? Anybody got an answer for that? If you do, it's simplistic. Uh, you can tell me your answers afterward. Sure. Uh, but I think it's probably pretty simplistic. right? Because that is an extremely tangled, mind-boggling problem. And the truth is, we just don't have the wisdom or the brain power or the vision or the scope of understanding to untangle those things. right? We can't. Our brains are not big enough. And we live too much in darkness to grasp all of those issues. Um, and let me just give you one example. We don't have a lot of time. But let me just give you one quick example uh, in the cross. Okay, the cross of Christ. Was the cross of Christ just or unjust? 
Well, on one hand, it was the greatest injustice in human history. Because unlike Job, who was not without sin, uh, even though he was righteous, he was not sin- could not claim sinless perfection. Jesus could, right? Uh, he was born, but, but yet, and, and Jesus never did anything wrong. He never deserved any ounce of suffering. And yet he was born into relative poverty. He lived a, a life of simplicity, not prosperity. Uh, he was terribly misunderstood by his disciples. And in the end, really, he failed in ministry. Um, he did not plant one single church. He really didn't make one successful disciple until after he died. Um, he was deserted by his friends. He was betrayed by one of his disciples. He was handed over to his worst enemies. He was rejected by his own people. Uh, the Romans, the worst enemies of Israel, subjected him to the most humiliating and painful death imaginable. You know that one of the obstacles for Thai Buddhists in, in, in believing in Jesus is that when they look at, at how he suffered and died and how terrible the terrible things that happened to him, they cannot but conclude that Jesus had bad karma. And if he had bad karma, he was not a good person. Right? Um, but we know that he did not have bad karma. He was righteous and perfect in every way. And his death was absolutely, in every way, unjust. And when we look at it through the eyes of this world, it, it is the most terrible crime of injustice in all of human history. And yet, and yet, his death was perfect justice, right? Uh, where the, 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 the perfect justice of God met with the perfect compassion and grace of God, and God poured out the wrath and judgment of sin upon Jesus, right? We receive justice through the cross because our sin is paid for and we are forgiven, Right? And we receive the, the love and goodness of God. Right? It is at one and the same time the, the greatest injustice and the most perfect justice. Right? And it's a justice that's at levels far beyond what we see by just how he, re, he was punished. Right? The grace and wisdom and love and holiness of God all meet at the cross. Right? So, so we need... Uh, yeah, so, so we need to we need to do what? Well, in the end, we need to do this. We need to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What does that mean? Well, it means seek first His kingdom. We think of a kingdom as a, as a government, as a place, as an institution. But in Bible times, a kingdom was the reign and rule of the king, right? It meant that a king ruled the person, right? We need to seek his rule, not a system, right? And as we seek his rule over the universe and we question it, and we say, God, why did you do it that way? God, why are you letting me suffer? God, why did you bring these things in my life? When we seek his rule and come to know his character and his attributes, we need to come to a place where we trust him where we just trust him. God, it doesn't make sense. God, I don't know the answers. I don't know the reasons. But 
because you are a good and loving and powerful God, I trust you. I just trust you that you are going to work out your purpose and plan, and it's good. It's good. Right? And, and then so we seek, we seek uh, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right? His righteousness, as we see from Job, means we are not doing good for any benefit other than to worship God and because it's the right thing to do, regardless of what we get or don't get out of the deal. And Jesus said, you will get suffering. Right? Praise God, we don't get all the suffering we could. Life could be worse, but life could be better. Right? Right? God will bless us. God will, uh, all these things will be added to you, but it's, it's not going to be easy. Right? But that's okay because we do the right thing to honor God because we love him because we know his way is right and good and pure. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.